This is the Hockey Podcast Network, your home for hockey talk on every team in the NHL. Hey, that's me. Hello and welcome to Blue Notes, your hockey podcast network home for your reigning, defending, undisputed champion of the world, St. Louis Blues. This is episode number 47, or as I would like to call it, the Darren Rumble edition of Blue Notes. We are really scraping the bottom of Blues lore here to get you the uh, blues players that are still left on the uh, sweater countdown here. So I apologize for that. My other choices, by the way, were Ladislav Nagy, Rich Pilon, Aaron Downey, and someone named Nick Drazenovic. I, I'm at a loss myself. But regardless, as I said, this is episode number 47 of Blue Notes. And uh, this one, we are going to be talking about the new marriage between the St. Louis Blues and and an AHL franchise. Stop if you have heard me this one before. Only this time, I think this one could work out longer than the Rampage or the Chicago Wolves. So we'll talk about the Springfield Thunderbirds this episode here and let you know exactly what they're all about. And then for the rest of the episode, well, it's going to be a part of a extended conversation that I had uh, with Uh, Bayou Benders and Shane Ryan of the Devil's Advocates podcast here on Blue Notes. Of course, the Blues just played in New Jersey on Friday night. They ended up losing 4-2 to snap an eight-game winning streak. Also, if they had won, it would have been the most wins by the Blues against any NHL franchise in a row ever. But alas, it stops at 12. It was their first loss to the Devils since 2014. These things happen. It's hockey, and streaks are made to be broken in hockey. I mean, just ask the Tampa Bay Lightning this season. They just went on a 10-game winning streak, and then they went on a four-game losing streak. Again, that kind of sounds familiar for the Blues because I feel like the Blues have gone through some mini swoons after streaks this year you know, alone. So, first of all, I want to thank uh, our uh, sponsor for this episode, Rally House of St. Louis. Uh, you know them. You've driven by them before. They are the place to go for St. Louis-related apparel, whether it's the Blues, the Billikens, or the uh, Battle Hawks, or, of course, the Cardinals. You know, that's that's an obvious one. Um, they have locations all over the St. Louis metro, and uh, they are here to get you geared up in uh, the best way they can uh, to show your love for St. Louis sports. And uh, we will have a link uh, with this episode here for uh, some specials with uh, Rally House course anything you order online you can get uh, you can pick up at a local rally house location so I want to thank them for helping power this podcast and of course we still have a contest going on with uh, tankathon and cool hockey where uh, if you are able to simulate the top 15 of the NHL draft the NHL lottery screenshot it and tweet it at me at blue notes pod uh, you ended up. You could be in the running for a fifteen, uh, two hundred dollar gift card from Cool Hockey. 
So if you get 15 out of 15 correct, you get $200 from Cool Hockey so you can get yourself that nice new jersey that you have been eyeing for quite some time. So uh, again, I'll uh, leave the rules in the uh, Blue Notes Pod Twitter accounts and uh, you have until April 8th to get your picks and the uh, lottery is on April 9th. So uh, keep that in mind. But first things first, let's talk about the new home for St. Louis minor leaguers prospects and not quite NHLers, the Springfield Thunderbirds. So uh, how do we get to this point? Well, where do we begin? First of all, could we begin with the Chicago Wolves, who the Blues were affiliates of for a couple of years after the Blues ended up uh, selling the Peoria Rivermen up a river? Literally, they ended up... uh, the actual franchise moved after uh, they were bought up into uh, by uh, up to Canada. So the Blues ended up partnering with the Wolves, who have their own ownership group, and they run their team their own way. But hey, at least the Blues don't have to pay for any pesky employees with the Chicago Wolves. That's all taken care of. So this does not work out well for the blues. They have to send players away like Jordan Bennington to the AHL. Uh, they had just a lot of issues. It seemed like the past couple of years getting their younger prospects proper game time because the Chicago wolves are like the one AHL team that actually cares about winning the Calder cup every year. You know, they are their own organization. They have their own fan base that they built up during the Blackhawks' bad years, and winning is everything to these people in the AHL. They want to be the king of the molehill, you know, if you will. So it didn't work out, and Vegas comes into the league, and they pair up with the Wolves, and they have this timeshare with the Blues. The Blues also have a timeshare with the San Antonio Rampage for a year, and uh, this just as recently as a couple years ago, by the way. Keep this in mind. Well, the Avalanche ended up uh, bringing up the Colorado Eagles from the ECHL up to the AHL, and now they're their affiliates. So the Blues had the Rampage all to themselves, and it was a, you know, we have a team in a big market, and you're really thinking that, you know, this is going to be the home for a while, some stability after a shaky deal with the Wolves. Well, one thing that kind of became apparent to me. Uh, looking down at San Antonio and seeing how they, and when I say they, I mean the Spurs Entertainment operated the Rampage, they were operated really as this kind of side piece. You know, they were never a priority for Spurs Entertainment. The priority was always going to be their NBA team. I mean, and I can't really blame them in that regard, but why do a hockey team at all if that's the case? If you're not going to put the time and effort into building your franchise, building your product, marketing, that sort of thing. And it always kind of seemed like the Rampage had also ran status in San Antonio. Just because you're in the 10th largest market in the country doesn't mean that you can expect fans to show up when you don't really do a lot of outreach with them. So that was an issue. Distance was an issue. And, oh, yeah, by the way, Vegas, I guess, finally sick of Chicago shit. They decide that, oh, well, we want our own AHL team right next door. We have a place in Henderson. We can do it. We just need to find the team. 
who can we buy? Hmm. Oh, yeah, there's this team in San Antonio that Spurs Entertainment doesn't give two flying rips about. Let's buy them. And the Spurs, probably eager to get rid of a liability on their contracts, they take the money, and now the Blues are left without an AHL team once again, which leads us to this week. Now, every Blues fan can tell you that the specter of going back to the Chicago Wolves was always there once the Rampage were being sold and that news came out. Thankfully, that's not happening. Because apparently, Florida, the Panthers, are going to be the new partners of the Chicago Wolves going forward. Thank God. Because that means the Blues don't have to go back to Chicago. And in their place, the Panthers are abandoning the Springfield Thunderbirds. Now, there was a lot, lot of funny moments on social media when the news came out that the Blues were inking this deal with the Thunderbirds. Uh, a lot of people thought, oh, it's Springfield, Missouri. No, it's not Springfield, Missouri. Oh, well, then it's Springfield, Illinois, which is also not far away in the capital of Illinois. No, it's not them either. It's all the way up in Massachusetts. By the way, I, I'm going to crunch the numbers for you here. How far is it from St. Louis to Springfield, Mass? Hmm, I wonder. Let's do some calculations here. Let's go to the uh, good old Google Maps here. And from Enterprise Center to where the Springfield Thunderbirds play, it is a 16-hour and 36-minute drive featuring tolls 1,110 miles. You have to basically, if you're leaving Enterprise Center, you will be going across Illinois and you'll be uh, going in, uh, basically you're going to be on I-70 and then you're going to go through Indianapolis, got to pass that, and then you continue on I-70 and then you eventually uh, end up in the Columbus suburbs. You then hook up with I-71. You go from Columbus up to Cleveland. Hook up with I-90 in the uh, Cleveland uh, eastern suburbs. Continue on all the way up through Buffalo. You get to drive through Buffalo, New York, and then you get to drive through upstate New York and all that entails. So you go through Syracuse and then Utica and then Schenectady and then Albany. And then you finally, in western Massachusetts, a little bit north of Hartford, Connecticut, you reach the Springfield Thunderbirds. 110 miles. Now, to be fair, this is not the first uh, flirtation that the uh, Blues have had with uh, Massachusetts minor league hockey teams. Of course, you remember, before the Rivermen, there were... The Wooster Ice Cats, a longtime affiliate of the uh, St. Louis Blues. And Wooster was in Wooster, Massachusetts. Wooster, Massachusetts is further east of Springfield. They are closer to Boston. They're not considered a Boston suburb, but they're not that far away either. Kind of like a 
think of like a Columbia, Missouri to a St. Louis, kind of, kind of one of those situations. Well, if you wanted to get from St. Louis to Worcester, Massachusetts, that is 1,154 miles. So you're talking a difference of about 44 miles. But it still leaves us with the issue of the Blues seem to be going against the trend in the NHL where we saw it with Colorado. We have seen it with uh, the former Rivermen. They're now in uh, that franchise now in Canada. Uh, we've seen it. We're going to see it with Vegas. Teams want AHL teams closer to their backyard. Springfield is not closer to the Blues' backyard. I can tell you right now, it's actually a further drive than St. Louis to San Antonio uh, by about a couple hours. So it's not that much longer, but it's still, you know, when you're going, when you're talking about 14 hours versus 16 hours, you know, if you're on the road for 14 hours and you gotta drive an extra two hours, you feel it. So it's it's still it's still not the greatest thing in the world. But that's the that's the one big negative I can see from the steel. Now that we've got that out of the way, let's talk about the positives. This is a five-year deal with the Springfield Thunderbirds. Now, yes, I know you're gonna say, uh, oh well, the Blues had a deal like that with the San Antonio Rampage, and then they got bought out. I don't see this happening with Springfield. I just uh, do not see that. So, um, but th this this team does have an interesting background. Um, in May 2016, following the relocation of the Springfield Falcons to Tucson, Arizona, after the team was sold to the Arizona Coyotes, the AHL's Portland Pirates were sold to a Springfield-based group who intended to relocate the franchise to Springfield for the 2016-17 season. The new owners were a consortium of local business interests seeking to keep hockey in Springfield and included Paul Picknelly, owner of the Springfield Marriott and member of the family owning Peter Pan bus lines, as well as several local hotel owners. A team from Springfield has taken the ice in the AHL and its predecessors for all but seven years since 1926 and in every season since 1954. That's from Wikipedia, by the way. And this tells me something. This tells me that this Thunderbirds team is not owned by an NBA team who intends to use it as a side piece. Uh, this tells me that these are owned by locally based owners with vested interest in their own community and actually their own businesses. Because let's face it, you know, one thing that will fill hotel rooms is sporting events. And these are hotel guys. So I think they intend to make a go of this, an honest, real go of this. And I say that because this is the third, this is actually season number four for the Springfield Thunderbirds. And now they've not been very good. They've not been very good. A lot of that's a reflection of the team that was that owned them, the Florida Panthers. They've never really been a deep, deep, deep prospect team. 2016-17, uh, uh, the Thunderbirds had a win-loss record of 32-33-9-2 uh, for 75 points. 
They then had a 32-37-5-2 record in 2017-18. And then their best season was 2018-19, 33 wins, 29 losses, 9 overtime losses, and 5 shootout losses for 80 points. But they were still 6th, 7th, and 7th in the Atlantic, respectively. So how are they doing this year? Better! They are currently 31-27-3-0 with 61 games played. And they play in the Eastern Conference. And more specifically, they play in the Atlantic Division. And right now, they're 5th. They are 5th with 65 points. They are still somewhat realistically, I would say, contenders for the playoffs. Uh, The uh, last two teams in the uh, Eastern Conference have 70 and 69 points, respectively. And here, Springfield sits at 65, so they're still within shooting distance of the playoffs. And here's another thing to consider here uh, as well is that You, you, you heard the history of Springfield hockey. This is not the first time. This would not be the first time, rather, a team moved from Springfield elsewhere. Kind of happens. Uh, it happened to the Springfield Falcons. They got bought by the Coyotes and moved out west. The Springfield Indians uh, played in Springfield from 1926 to 1994. And then their fate as a franchise, uh, they are now the Utica Comets. Go figure. Uh, In fact, actually, the Springfield Indians, this is a funny bit of history I just noticed here. So the Springfield Indians, uh, they left in 1994, and they moved. They moved. They ended up uh, moving to... Wait for it. Wooster. They got bought out by out-of-town interest in 1994, and they were moved to Wooster, Massachusetts to become the Wooster Ice Cats, who were the AHL affiliate of the St. Louis Blues. And then the franchise continued on from Wooster, to Peoria, Illinois for the 2005-2006 AHL season where it played for eight years as the Peoria Rivermen, the affiliate of the St. Louis Blues. Ah! And then after the 2012-2013 season, you've heard me say the story before, the Rivermen moved to Utica, New York, and they became the Comets. The Utica Comets, where they still exist today. But contiguously, they are the oldest AHL franchise uh, in the leagues, which is I, I find quite interesting. By the way, as I mentioned, Utica is in New York. And right now, their affiliation is the Vancouver Canucks. Last I checked, Vancouver and Utica... They're not close. You're talking like one side of the continent to the other. So, and apparently this works out just fine for the Canucks and the Comets because 
After 2018, during their final season of their initial six-year affiliation agreement, the Canucks and Comets extended their affiliation agreement for up to an additional six years. So there you go. Interesting history here, folks. Now, that's the Blues' former AHL affiliates in Worcester and Peoria, that same franchise now in Utica. And now here we go again with the Blues getting involved with another Massachusetts minor league hockey team. Just very interesting little uh, little factoid there for you here. Just interesting history when it comes to the Blues and uh, their AHL affiliation. So while it's possible Springfield could move down the road, um, this isn't the Blues' first dance with Massachusetts. And I have a feeling that this new ownership group wants to keep the team in Springfield for as long as possible. So um, the inaugural season uh, for uh, Wooster, by the way, average attendance was about 3,100. Um, and then it actually rose more recently. It's They, they averaged more about 4,600. So attendance has, has risen. They play in the Mass Mutual Center. The Mass Mutual Center holds about 6,700 for hockey. So uh, they get sellouts here and there. Uh, sounds like that they're going to do everything to make this work. And just looking at the deal uh, with the St. Louis Blues and uh, the Thunderbirds, uh, one thing that Doug Armstrong noted is that Springfield is indeed a strong franchise in a city with a rich hockey history. That is true. That is very true. Again, they've had some form of minor league hockey since 1926 in their city. So um, always respect affiliates that have a strong hockey tradition, especially considering San Antonio did not have a strong hockey tradition. And they're now moving, at least the uh, team is anyway, out to Vegas, which is building a hockey tradition of their own. So... And, and that's one thing the Blues also commented as well on is the fact that the Thunderbirds franchise is committed to building an exciting and innovative brand of sports entertainment and maintaining professional hockey as a civic asset for the region. They've seen significant growth in attendance, revenue generation, and community engagement. Thunderbird teams have played before a sellout crowd of 6,793 on 28 occasions, and they've been recognized uh, by the league for its excellence in ticket sales, community relations, and corporate sales. In fact, they actually just hosted the AHL All-Star Classic in uh, January of 2019 in just the team's third year of existence. So, it's like the Blues, they have also hosted an All-Star uh, game themselves. So, you know, ha having looked at everything here, you know, I don't feel as bad that it's not going to be a KC affiliate, at least not yet anyway. It sounds like they've they've got themselves lined up with a pretty decent organization here, and I look forward to seeing uh, where it takes the Blues. Again, maybe it could end up in KC down the road, but I mean, I don't, I, I, it's not fair to the people of Springfield, Massachusetts, that are listening to this right now to suggest the Blues are buying them just to move them. They don't seem like a team that's ready to do that. So, I mean, if I, I've heard like the Rockford Ice Hogs have had issues. I mean, the Blues could have bought them and maybe move them to KC, or Lamar Hunt could have bought them, move them to KC, um, but that didn't happen. Now did it? You know, it's, you know, I we, we, we live in a fact-based world, and the fact of the matter is 
The Blues are going to have their minor league affiliate in the AHL in Springfield, Massachusetts for hopefully the next five years, assuming some other team doesn't buy them out from under the Blues again. So um, we are going to now switch gears and uh, play a little bit of my hour and a half long chat with uh, the boys from the Devil's Advocates podcast, uh, Bayou Benders, as well as Shane Ryan. You've you've heard Bayou Benders on this episode, on this podcast before, and uh, we just had a fun chat about everything, including the Blues' four to two loss to the Devils, and also a little bit of playoff prognostication. So uh, we're gonna play that beautiful NHL '94 music, and we're gonna get into this segment. Bayou Benders, take us away. What a game! <laughs> what a game it was indeed. Uh, yeah, so the so the Devils go and stop the Blues is where they end their winning streak at eight. With uh, I mean, the headlines on here say with a rare loss to the Devils, and uh, rare indeed <laughs> for the Blues, but not for us. As of late, we've been we've been winning against very very solid teams in a, in a time where we maybe we shouldn't be winning so much, but uh, we we just kind of had the magic this night. Well, yeah, and, and and when they when they talk about the rare loss to the Devils, I mean, it had been since uh, 2014 that the uh, Blues had lost to the Devils, so it was a mm. long time. But you know, it's it's like they say, you know, streaks are meant to be broken, you know, and that was a uh, had they won that, that would have been a franchise record for straight wins over any team in hockey. Wow. Would have been like 13, I think it would have been, or 12 or 13. Um, but you also get the distinction of being able to enjoy an eight game winning streak broken, you yeah. know, in, in, in New Jersey. I mean, it's just, I think when, when these, these games kind of, you know, pop up, you know, when you when your team's playing well and they're, they're streaking like this uh, sometimes it's just the, the legs get tired under you and they, from a blues fan perspective, I mean, they definitely look like a step or two slower uh, through, uh, Friday night against the devils. I mean, they just didn't look, you know, quite on the jump as they always did. And, uh, uh, but I, but that being said, the Devils scored a couple whopper goals, you know, on, on, on Friday night. I mean, Jesper Bratt's goal to start off the game was just unbelievable. Mm-hmm. You know, the way that he just got around Colton Pareko, which is not the easiest thing to do since he's like six foot six. And yeah, kind of like that iconic, uh, Gordie Howe, you know, uh, keeping the puck away from the defenseman and just, and just carving in front of the goalie. Uh, it was insane. Yeah, it was. And then, and then the last one you guys got, uh, you know, where you know he ends up going by the net, but then like he's like does a spinner Rooney and you know backhands it by Bennington. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was just, uh, you know, just just some nights you run into a hot team, you know, and and for for Blues fans, it's not one that we're gonna wipe our brow about too much. No, uh, but but for us, it was a it was a first. It was a first for uh, our young. Dakota Mermis gets his first goal of uh of his career. It was really awesome to see. Um, but how about that? Um, I mean, I guess it would be a little controversial, but it, it wasn't. You know, this was kind of uh, a game that was starting to get out of hand. But that uh that Rooney goal uh that was called back. If you guys had had taken a look at it, it was a little. I feel like uh you know Berto Berto kind of was the reason why he even. Uh, ran into the pad of Bennington. 
Yeah, that one, you know, and, and that was the one I was referring to. I mean, I, I mean, to me, it didn't look bad. I thought that would have been a good goal personally myself. Uh, by the way, you mentioned Dakota Mermis. Uh, Dakota Mermis, I had completely forgotten, but he actually grew up around the St. Louis area. Really? Uh, he is uh, from Alton, Illinois, which is right across the river from St. Louis. And uh, he's a guy that, yeah, he came up through the – um, you know, the, the St. Louis uh, Blues Juniors team that they have here in St. Louis. And then he went off to the University of Denver and he played 19 games there and decided, you know what, the Ontario Hockey League is better for me. And so he ends up going to the OHL, uh, play, plays there for a long time and then Goes undrafted, ends up in Arizona. They pick him up as a free agent. And then in the offseason, before the Taylor Hall deal, he becomes a devil. And, uh, yeah, he's taken quite an odd road to get to the NHL. But, uh, you know, he, he looked pretty good Friday night. I can't deny it. You know, paying Taves and Kane, like, that 10.5 each was smart. I, I'm okay with that. You got three cups out of it, but there's not a single team out there that has two guys, more than two guys making 10 million plus a year no. having success. No, they're, they're, they're flat out. It isn't. I mean, yeah, I I'm okay with, you know, the Blackhawks paying, you know, Taves and Kane, what they're paying because they're basically their modern version of Makita and Hull. You know, I mean, mm -hmm. that's, that, that's fine. They're the face of the franchise. They won um, three cups. Exactly, and they but got it's, the money's worth. Exactly, and which is which is why I tell some Blues fans here in St. Louis is like you know people that get worried about what you know the Blues pay out to you know guys like Braden Shen, you know paying him you know the full eight years. It's like you know banners are forever. They they they'll stay in your arena forever. You can look upon them and know that uh, your your team went there. Um, you know, so of course, you know you you want to keep that team together as much as possible. So you're gonna overpay for some players just to keep that team you know together. Whether it's even though Shen is like a top six forward with St. Louis, he is. But but it's but an eight year deal for a guy that's already. Uh, 28 years old, you know, that's, that's, that, that, that carries a little bit of risk, you oh, know, yeah. with it too, but it's like, but, 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 and, and a lot of people flipped out over it, but it's like, and the blues might have to give out an eight year deal to Petrangelo, who's going to be, you know, approaching 30, you know, so I'm okay if they do that because he's a great player. He'll probably still be a solid player for most of his contract. And, oh, yeah, he was the captain when your team won the Stanley Cup. That thing hanging in the rafters, you see that thing, that big cup thing? Yeah, that's kind of nice. Uh, so I, I'm fine with it, really. It's, well, it's, it's, you know, that kind of tactic worked well for Chicago. It worked well for Detroit. I mean, yeah, the, the, you're going to have some lean years afterwards, but, you know. Stanley Cups don't come around every year. Basically like a Phil Housley, you know, where Housley was a great offensive defenseman, but he was a swinging saloon door on defense. Yeah. You know, like, so I mean, so he, he, he can never, ever be considered a great defenseman. He just, he, he was just fine, but you had to pair a defensive guy with him. Otherwise you were screwed. Right. Yeah, and I mean to be fair, like if you look at the pairings of those guys, they generally had uh, a defensive, a more defensive-minded guy with them. I mean, 
Lindstrom had Cornwall, and then you had Stevens and Niedermeyer, and then you had Pronger and Niedermeyer and Anaheim. So you did have that, like, offensive mind with a defensive mind. But even, to, even, to agree, even to a degree, Pronger and McInnes. Yeah. You know, I mean, because McInnes was definitely the more offensive of the two, although Pronger wasn't a slouch. No, um, I mean, yeah. Pronger is your definition of a solid two-way defenseman. Yes. You know, if you look at, you know, what you want to – if you're a defenseman and you want to know what being a solid two-way guy is, Pronger's the guy you look at. Yeah. And then you, and then you, I mean, he, he was, he was very good offensively. He, I mean, he was, I mean, I would say he was good offensively, very good defensively, very nasty. Uh, but the guy, the guy could do anything he wanted out there on the ice. He I was mean, so, he was very smart. He was incredibly. A, like, on the ice. He was a very smart man. He was a very yeah. smart hockey player. And, and physically imposing. I mean, oh, I mean, six, six foot six. I mean, I, I see him up in the blues press box every now and then. Cause he still, he, he still lives in St. Louis and um, he, he just, he just like, I mean, he's a nice guy. He wears glasses. He's like a, you know, well, that's he, if you look, I think. He, but, but, but like, if you look at it, if you look at his face and you like, you like hear him talk, you know, he's, he's a pretty intelligent guy, but I mean, then you look below the neck and you know, you're looking at Sasquatch. Right. You know, I mean, the, the, the guy is just, just big. And that's going to do it for this episode of Blue Notes. Again, if you want my full hour and a half long conversation that you just heard a piece of, uh, check out the Devil's Advocates podcast on the Hockey Podcast Network. I want to thank you for listening because without you, there is no me. There is no Blue Notes and there is no Hockey Podcast Network. Thank you to Tankathon and Cool Hockey for the contest that we're running right now. Thank you, Rally House, for powering this episode. And thank you, the listener. Once again, I appreciate it. I'm Tom Franklin, reminding you to not be a chump and always play to the whistle. Listening to the Hockey Podcast Network on Twitter at HockeyPodNet. New episodes every Monday and Thursday. Download at the HockeyPodcastNetwork.com or wherever you get your podcasts from.